Good evening. How are you? Woo! They're beyond third row awake. Excellent. Now, you might recognize my accent isn't too familiar. I was born in England. My parents desperately tried to drag me up. I left school with no qualifications. I'm a dimbo and a dumbo and any other umbo you want to think about. But anyway, here I am, and we're going to have a look at the Word of God together. Oh, by the way, you all had a big party the other day, eh? What was all that about? We English, we gave you a grand, fantastic start in this here country. And I come over here and you're the wrong side of the road. When did that happen? And the English language, I, I, I was at a church this morning, this guy going on about herbs. And they were, herbs? What's that about? Herbs. Yeah? Then he started talking about the fall. Who fell? Oh no, autumn. Yeah? What are you talking about my English language? And then they go and throw all the tea in the harbour. And Lipton's are still digging it out. Disgusting stuff. Yeah? But we've forgiven you. But we're watching you close. And if you're not careful, we'll come over and take over the lot of you. Right. Anyway, uh, what I thought we'd have a look at tonight is... um, uh, I always believe in contrasts and comparisons. Because it helps you to sort of um, understand things better, you know? Way, way back, um, it was probably in B.C., but I was in the antique and jewellery trade. Now, I didn't say I was an antique. I said I was in the antique trade and the jewellery trade, okay? And uh, it was about 25 years after the Second World War. And so, of course, all these women wanted their silver wedding anniversaries, and they wanted their teapot, because we have proper teapots in England, you see. What are you doing with your teapots, huh? And they would have the hot water jug, and they would have the cream, well, we call it milk, I don't know what you put in it, evaporated milk in tea? That's gross, man. And then you have your sugar bowl, and then you have a nice silver tray to go with it all. And, of course, the ladies come in dragging their husbands behind, and the husband thinks he's forgotten the checkbook, but the wife's got it. She remembered it, yep. And you sort of weigh up your customer, and you present a lovely five-piece tea service before them. And she looks at it and says, it's very nice. Then I get out another one that's not so good, and I put that there. And she looks at it, and you can say, hmm, yes. And then, then I get the good one out. And I put this here and slide it along until it's in front of her. And it's over £100, which would be about $150, which was a lot of money, B.C., you know. And you can see this woman, oh, she's swooning over it. And you can see the husband going, oh. And then I turned to the husband, and I said, well, sir, I said, you've been married 25 years, eh? He says, yeah, hmm. Do you love your wife £150 worth? Now, you tell me a husband in a shop full of people that's going to say no. Sold the tea set. Got it. So she had to have three to get an idea of what she wanted. It's very interesting in the Bible, and I want you to turn up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to have a look at two different trees. Believe it or not, we're going to have a look at a tree tonight. Now, I told you I was a bit of a dumbo. I mean, what dumber thing can you do than look at a tree? Well, I'm hoping by the time I finished, you might think it was a wise thing to spend a few minutes doing. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it reads like this. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of the Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and it became four heads. Drop down please to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and he put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden that you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt die. Okay, let's go over to the New Testament then, to the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, to be a little more accurate. Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, please. 
Acts 5, verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be the prince and a saviour. For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Spirit, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to their heart and took counsel to slay them. Cheerful people, weren't they? Okay, and uh, third one, please. First Peter. First Peter and chapter 2 and uh, verse 24. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when we be buffeted for your faults, ye you take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whom stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. So there we have it in the Garden of Eden. Obviously, there's trees in the garden, and we're talking about trees. Now then, we come over to the New Testament, and this is something weird. Uh, we've got in Acts, uh, there in uh, verse 30 of chapter 5, the mention of the cross... Not as a cross, but a tree. And then we come again as we read in uh, 1 Peter 2, and down there in verse 24, we've got the cross again called a tree. So I'm wondering to myself in my naivety, do we have a mistake here? Was the cross a tree or was the tree a cross? Was this a translation foo part? You know, the guys were translating the word of God using candles and all the rest of it. Perhaps they made a mistake. Do you think it might have been that? I'm not too sure. But what I am sure about is that when we take the uh, tree from the Garden of Eden and we contrast it with the tree that Jesus Christ died upon, we get some very interesting comparisons. And this is what we're going to have a little look at this evening. First of all, let's uh, remind ourselves then of that tree in the Garden of Eden. How did that grow? Well, if you notice carefully in verse 9, it says the tree grew out of the ground. It came up out of the soil. God had put into the ground all the beautiful seeds and everything else and so on. And hey, presto, when the time was right and the weather was right, up come these here trees. Um, fruit trees, banana trees, whatever they were, they came up all in their particular time. There was order, there was structure, there was discipline, even in the uh, fruit world. So this tree planted of God came up out of the ground. Now then let's uh, think about that second tree. Matthew 27 verse 35 says this, and this is all it says, three, ver three words, they crucified him, just three words. But man, what a well, what a volume of meaning lie behind those three words. They crucified him. And it's interesting that you will find as you read that when they crucified him on that cross, the cross was on the ground. To get it into the ground, now remember, the tree in the Garden of Eden came up out of the ground. This one they put down into the ground. And when they did it, you know what happened? All the joints of Jesus Christ dislocated. You ever dislocated a joint? That's bad enough. Can you imagine all of them dislocated? I mean, the, the, the writhing agony from that must have been excruciating. And so here we have our first contrast. Yes, when we come to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, what a contrast to the beauty of the Garden of Eden. 
Now, I travel around a fair bit, and there's one of the most beautiful things I think I see is, <clears throat> that is trees. And coming here to Florida, it seems that whoever the, uh, the, uh, the powers to be, they make a big effort in planting a lot of shrubbery and a lot of trees. You see them all uh, fortified and everything else until they develop their, their roots. One time I had my granddaughter out here. She was three, somewhere four. Uh, we picked her up from the airport, and we're driving her to our little apartment. And she said, Grandpa, you've got some funny trees here. And she'd noticed the difference with the coconut trees, which, of course, in England, they would never stand a chance. The frost would get them, and they'd die overnight. And so uh, back home, she was used to those trees. And then I would take her through the yard. and Well, we call them gardens. You call them yards? No, we call them gardens, you know, gardens, yeah. And took her through the garden and showed her all the nice bushes and the flowers and the hibiscus and so on and so forth. So I educated her into the beauty of God's creation and told her how different it was. But then we come to this... <clears throat> this garden, for it was, and near to a garden, wasn't it, where Jesus Christ is crucified. But what a different scene. Here you see the depravity of man. Here you see the vileness of sin. Here you see stubbornness. Here you see pride at its worst. For they refused to take Jesus Christ as their Lord and King. Man, you talk about arrogant, stubborn, stiff-headed and I'm not talking about the sinners around here you know I'm talking about the religious people of that day the people who knew the old testament or the bits that they had at that time and they should have known full well from what they read that this person that they were messing with was nothing other than Jesus Christ but you see their minds were politically biased they also messed with the poor people and that's how they they lived off abusing the the poor people but they wanted to get rid of these Roman people who were ruling over them, just like you kicked the British out. Don't know what happened after that, but anyway. <clears throat> uh, and it was just the same there. They wanted gone these Romans. And so they saw in Jesus the hope of somebody would get rid of them. Well, it didn't happen. And because it didn't happen, they then hated him. And they crucified him with all that that means. And so that must have been indeed a, a dire, desperate experience to have watched first tree then was pleasant to the eye the second tree man it was something of suffering not only was it suffering but normally when there's suffering there's pity isn't there there's sympathy there's empathy not here you have a vulgar crowd you have the taunting people you have the priests activating the crowd crucify him crucify him let's get rid of him let's get this one who pricks our conscience let's get him out of here let us go back to what we know, messing with the people and leading them down into a lost eternity. And so you see also not only Jesus Christ on a tree, on a cross, but you also see too many either side, don't you? And Christ in the midst. You know, dear friends, we, uh, we often think about the physical suffering. We often think of the psychological suffering. And often psychological abuse can make more scars, more deep, than the physical scars that sometimes heal. You imagine being the son of God for five seconds, can you? Perfect now, holy, unique. Never was there a person like this who walked this earth before. And you're told that you're the child of Satan. How do you think that goes down? You imagine how that insulted God in human form. Then to be thrashed as though he's some uh, um, thieving beggar thieving uh, uh, character or a political th um, uh, activist the way they literally butchered the Lord Jesus Christ physically to the point where you could hardly recognize him as a human being on that cross bad enough that bad enough the psychological abuse but what about the spiritual trauma that he went through those three hours of darkness sometimes I think because we can't enter into that realm that only Jesus Christ could have entered into. We don't tend to try. But that was the meaning of the cross. What they did to Jesus just proved who they were, wretched, rotten sinners, and Jesus Christ needed to die and be punished for their sin. And that is what happened in those three dark hours on Calvary's cross. And because we're not pure in mind and heart, we cannot begin to understand not an iota of what Jesus Christ went through. And you imagine this, every sin, 
every sin that is and every sin that will be committed in three hours Jesus was punished for a lot of that now don't come after me afterwards and say well how did he do it I do not have the foggiest idea but if God says that's good enough for me and I believe it that Jesus should be flogged almost to death that Jesus should be abused to such an extent and then in those dark dark hours when you couldn't see the finger at the end of your nose God steps in and then God starts and God's holy wrath not wrath, wrath got it? Okay, right. Again, an English lesson here. God's holy wrath is then poured out upon your Savior, my Savior. As Jesus Christ takes every single sin that you and I have ever committed, and God punishes Jesus Christ instead of you, instead of me. And let me tell you this never mind the cross. But if Jesus, if God had to come here today and punish one of us for one sin, we wouldn't last. We wouldn't last five seconds. I sometimes think of Isaiah, you know, he was going up to his church. It was called the temple in his day. And he has this massive vision of Jesus Christ sitting on this magnificent throne up in heaven. And he well knew that if he saw God in his sinful nature and with sin in his life, he was done. He was finished. And I love what he screams out and he says, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a sinner, and what's more, I live amongst a bunch of sinners. Now that's where we need to be tonight. We need to realize, number one, we are sinners and we have sinned. And you know, we are as guilty. We are as guilty as these people who put Jesus on the cross. I remember in my ministry down the road in Nassau, Bahamas, amongst the drug addicts one Easter, we were considering the various characters around the cross, and we talked about this soldier who nailed Christ to the cross. And I said to the guys, guys, what would happen if that soldier walked in here? What would you say? What would you do? There was a holy hush. One of the guys says, man, listen here, I'd go out the workshop, I'd get a piece or two before, I'd lick him up the side of his head real good. I said, you would? I said, well, let's go. Let's go. Where are we going? I said, workshop, piece of two before. I'm going to lick you up the side of your head. He said, me, man? I said, you, you, man. I said, because you, me, and the rest of us in this room are just as guilty as the soldier who nailed Christ to the cross. And he did it out of love. He did it at his father's command. And it so hurt him that in the Garden of Gethsemane we read these words as he thinks about what he's about to go into. He said he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. You start to perspire blood, you're dead within 24 hours. That is how it meant and the effect it had upon Jesus Christ. You know, dear friends, <clears throat> the power of the cross has been lost today. We have all these horror movies out of uh, Hollywood and so on and so forth. Murders every day of the week. Nobody turns a hair. I can remember as a kid, somebody got murdered in my town. Man, you would have thought the end of the world had come. Everybody was talking that. Now it happens every day of the week. Down in Nassau, we have 250,000 people. We have 150 murders every year. It's absolutely ridiculous. In the days when I worked in the rescue mission in Birmingham City Mission in England, one Easter we took over the uh, public area in the shopping mall. We put up an empty tomb and a cross and we were reading the John's Gospel 24-7 and we were shown the video, the Jesus film. Don't know whether you remember that. Some of you too young. I got a nod from there. Okay, that's good. That's good. I must be younger than I think. Yeah, good. And one day, uh, one afternoon, there's this kid standing there. And I'm thinking, this kid should be at school. He's legging it. So I go across. I said, uh, excuse me. He says, hush, man, hush, hush, hush. I said, what do you mean, hush? He says, there's a bloody bit on this. He says, and I'm waiting for it to come up. I said, oh, okay. So I stood there with him, waiting for the bloody bit to come up. And there was Jesus Christ crucified. You know the reaction from this kid? Seemed worse than that, he says. That he walks off. That's how a child, 13, 14 years of age, has been conditioned by the media so that when he's presented with Jesus Christ, it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. Talking of videos, we had a video library. Christian videos were very expensive when they first came out, so the rescue mission, we bought a bunch and we put them out on hire to youth groups and all sorts. And one day I was manning the store and the lad came in. He said, I hear you've got videos. I said, yep. He said, can I see them? I said, yeah, they're over here, look. 
And he passed his hand over the cover of the sleeves of these videos. I said, what are you up to? He says, hush, man. And he suddenly stopped. I said, this is the one here. This is the one with the, the bloody thing in it. And I found out later he was a friend of the guy who'd seen it in the, the shopping mall. He wanted the story of Jesus. And that kid was playing with the occult at that age. And he sensed the evil in that video. It's amazing, eh? And so we have to be careful how, yes, we shelter our children from it all. But we debate the issues with our children. The evilness of this world to shut out anything that smells or could suggest anything to do with Jesus Christ. And that we share with them the truth of what it's all about. The first tree was interesting. Say, uh, God forbade Satan, uh, i get it straight in a minute, God forbade Adam and Eve, they should not eat of that cross. So guess what happens? Satan comes along, doesn't he? And with his uh, subtle ways, and notice this carefully, he appeals to the emotions of Eve. Now, it is a biological factor, and I'm not being sexist or whatever term, the political correct and all that nonsense and so on, but women are far more emotional than men. Men are more logical than women. So Satan, knowing these things, he doesn't sidle up to Adam and say, hey, Adam, how are you doing? I like the fruit. What you do, he very cunningly comes along to Eve, and she looks at it, and she desires it, and the next thing she finds is in her mouth. And the next thing she gives it to Adam, and the deal is done. And so they got thrown out of the garden, didn't they? Taste and see how good the Lord is, says Scripture. And when we come to this second tree, Satan stops you trying to look at that tree, doesn't he? The first tree that you shouldn't have uh, messed with, he got you to mess with that one. Now you want to look at this tree, and he's going to do everything to stop you looking at this tree. Because this tree is where we get salvation from. This tree is when we learn the amount of love that God has got for us. And it is the ultimate love. It's what we call unconditional love. It's free love. Because he loves us as sinners, and because he doesn't love our sin, but he loves us, he allows his son to carry the load for us. And so when we come to this, this uh, gruesome scene, we need to look beyond the gruesomeness of the scene to the wonder of the man who is upon the cross. And we need to taste, as Hebrews would tell us, and feed upon him and make sure he is ours and we are his. Uh, because God forbade man to eat it, Satan used every way to get them to eat it. Second tree, he prevents you from going there. Now, when we go back to Genesis, and uh, you know how it was, don't you? Adam and Eve had taken of the fruit, suddenly realized that they had sinned, suddenly realized they were naked, run around behind the bushes and start knitting fig leaves together, you know? Little apron, yeah, fine. God comes down, and I love this bit. Take careful note. God comes down to the Garden of Eden, and he asks Adam and Eve where they are, as if he doesn't know where they are. That's interesting, isn't it? Huh? Uh, God obviously knew where they were. He knew he got, I mean, he could see through the bush anyway. Come on out. I can see you. Yeah? Lost the game. God wanted them to tell him what they had done. But did they? No. Again, we start using excuses. There is no excuse that is going to work in our relationship with God. We need to be frank, open, and honest. Yes, God, I've done it. Now, for Adam and Eve, there's a whole catalogue of things that was going to happen to them because of. First thing, of course, was they were going to die. Well, they didn't die immediately physically, did they? They didn't die mentally because they had a dialogue with God. But they did instantaneously die spiritually. And this is what it's all about. And this is the big problem with life today. And this is why many people get into uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, um, uh, drugs, and all sorts of things besides. Alcohol and drugs are, are, are addictive. I have a lady in uh, Nassau, and she spends over $250 a week on cosmetics. And it don't help her none. Don't tell her that, though. One morning I knocked on her door because I was anxious to see what she looked like without her war paint on. Man, you said, I've seen some horror films, but that was even worse than any of those. Man, this woman is hooked on cosmetics. 
I know a guy in Nassau who every morning goes into his, by the way, it's a garage, okay, not a garage, what's a garage, a garage, and he kisses his motor vehicle. He's addicted to his motor. Crazy, eh? Man. And so there's a whole catalogue of things. Having sinned, there are the consequences. And the first thing is there's death. Spiritual death. Natural death will follow too. I had a brother. He was one week short of 24. I talked to him at 11.45 Monday night. 5.30 next morning he was dead. We cannot boast of tomorrow, friends. Serious. My father, he took off for heaven when he was 53. Six months after my brother died. My boss was 53 and he died. He committed suicide. He's a Jewish gentleman, not a Christian. Man that took the rug out of me, I don't mind telling you. But through the sudden death of those men, I found truly what God was like as a heavenly father. He looked after the fatherless. And he's done it for over years since. Hmm? Amazing God. That God to us can be the complete, perfect Father? Wow. Most of the men I deal with down in Nassau don't know what a father looks like if you put one in front of them. The only father they might know about is an absent father or a delinquent or a brutal father. So you're talking about the Father of God to them and they've got a very skewed idea as to what the Father is. But getting back to this catalogue of uh, things that are the consequences of us having sinned. First of all, there is death. And yet out of the second tree, although there's death there, comes life. And not only life, but eternal life for those who believe and trust in and accept the one who died in, in their stead. And when we realize that each and every sin of ours, he has taken to that cross and was nailed to that cross and allowed God to punish him for each and every one of my sins, your sins. Wow, the difference between these two crosses, hey? The one brings death. The second one has got death, yet it has not only life, but it has spiritual life. We become born again spiritually. What died in Adam and Eve? When we come to Jesus Christ, that becomes alive again we see that Adam and Eve were sorely tempted by Satan and you know Jesus Christ was tempted wasn't he in his life 40 days in the wilderness no Wendy's no Kentucky Fried Chicken nothing you imagine being in a desert in the middle of summer no water no food for 40 days, naturally speaking. And Jesus was a natural human being, yet without sin. And the things that he was enticed with by Satan were very attractive. I wouldn't like to say I was able to resist them. But because Jesus was God, he could. And so the person who stood in your place and stood in my place on Calvary's cross never thought to sin. You know what the Bible says? To think sin is sin. So when you say about your friend you've fallen out, man, I could murder him, and you murdered him. Boy, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah? Got to be careful how we think, haven't we? Huh? So there's death there. There's also temptation. And then, of course, there comes to uh, Eve. She was going to get a lot of pain when she brings forth her babies. How much pain was there at Calvary's cross for the Lord Jesus Christ who birthed Christianity for us? How his soul, his body, and his mind were in excruciating agony. And all for the sake of becoming that perfect offering and sacrifice for you and me. That through it all we might have this wondrous hope. That coming to this second tree which has life and hope and forgiveness that we can feed upon the one on the tree. And make him our very own. Another one here that the, uh, of course, the world isn't too happy about. Wives are supposed to submit or subject themselves to their husbands. Don't go do it down too well, that one in some places, does it? But anyway, so also was the Lord Jesus subjected to his heavenly Father. Now get this if you can. 
Not one single word that Jesus said while he was upon earth, not one single miracle that Jesus did while here on earth was of his own thinking or his own desire or of his own wish. Every single thing Jesus Christ did while he's here upon earth was by direct instruction from heaven. Now then, I can see before me some very handsome boys and girls. My question to you is, do you do everything your mum and dad ask you to do? (laughs) From the cradle to the cross, everything that God asked Jesus Christ to do. That is what he calls submission. That's called being humble. That's being called meek. And when we're that way minded, we could be helped. We can be taught. We can receive so much help that we desperately need in this wretched world in which we live. But when we start to kick and resist against what we're told and asked to do, then of course that brings a loss of privileges, doesn't it? Yeah? It brings barriers between people. Discipline has to be enacted. Man, don't ask me about my childhood. I had more meals off our mantelpiece because it was too sore to sit down than I did sitting at a table. I was the sort of kid that learned the hard way, you know. Don't be like that. Because if we're resistant against our our parents, we're going to be resistant against our peers. We're going to be resistant against our, our teachers. We're going to be resistant, resistant, resistant against the law. And we're going to find ourselves where we don't want to be, in a correction facility. And that's for sure. That's no kidding. I've seen too much of it in the last 40 years in different countries around the world. It's just not bad old Nassau, you know. It happens here. It happens in India where I go once a year. Be talking about it next Monday night. Make sure you're there. If you're not there, I'll come looking for you and it won't be pretty, okay? So make sure you're there next Monday. Not this Monday. No, next Sunday night. Next Sunday night. Got it wrong. Right. Yeah? So we have to be uh, uh, disciplined. That's the word, isn't it? We don't go by our emotion. We don't go by our feelings. We have to own up that we don't know everything. We do realize that our parents are a little antiquated because they're about, you know, 200 years older than us. But you'd be surprised what 200 years can teach. And so we need to be subjected to them as our parents and then as we come to Jesus Christ of course we are subjected to him and by his direction where is he going to lead us he's going to lead us in the paths of righteousness isn't he rightness Yeah. better carry on nobody told me what time you stop so that's okay that's fine in India by the way they, um, the, the, the sessions are 90 minutes apiece and you're thoroughly exhausted, wiped out, and they say, Mark Uncle, you got any more for us? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah? So, I mean, there's nothing on TV. The World Football Cup's over, so we'll carry on. There's a curse that came in with this sin, wasn't there? And, of course, Jesus Christ was made a curse. But we need to be careful here. Jesus Christ was not made the curse that we are made because of sin, because Jesus didn't sin, did he? The curse that Jesus endured was, was the curse from hanging on a tree. And God said, didn't he, that anybody that hangs on a tree is made a curse. So amazing enough that Jesus is willing to come to die, but now he's made a curse for me. Man, what I owe the Lord Jesus Christ, eh? Anybody else you know that has done or gone anywhere near to the degree that the Lord Jesus, any other religion that you don't have to do nothing for, but accept. That's all you've got to do. Down in Nassau, we've got a thousand and two religions. They say they're Christian as well. But nine times out of ten, they've usually got rules and regulations that you have to perform in order to be sure you're going to heaven. You get in a church like that, you run out ten times faster than what you ran in. For this wonderful uh, occasion on this cross brought about salvation, which Jesus Christ has totally, completely, and utterly provided free of charge, and we don't have to do anything. The only thing we have to do is confess that we are sinners and we have sinned. That Jesus Christ bore our sin on that cross and say, God, I accept that person. Jesus Christ is my Savior. 
He's going to be the Lord, the boss of my life, because his precious blood has bought me. So I don't belong to myself no more, right? And because he knows better than I do, I want him to lead and guide me. And the thing that blows my mind is this. Ever before creation, God knew your heart would beat, your lungs would inflate, deflate. You would exist before creation was called into being. Not only did he know that you would live, but also he had a plan for your life. So the question I've got here for you all tonight is, how many are you working on God's plan? And how many of you are doing your own plan? And which is the most uh, satisfying way to go? Oh, I didn't know I got two over here. I'm sorry. You must be the Samaritans or the Jews. Yeah, and we all the Gentiles, eh? Okay, I'm sorry about that. I didn't see you must have crept in unaware. Yeah? So we have to be very, very careful, don't we? Very, very careful. Let's have a look at another one. There were thorns that were going to come up out of the ground and make life miserable for Adam and everybody else since. Have you ever imagined the amount of money made by these companies that make weed killer? If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, there'd be no such thing as weed killer, would there? Come to that, there'd be no clothes either. There'd be no locks on the door. You think of the many trades. The whole medical industry would be bankrupt, wouldn't it? Can you see how sinners are so vastly affected our lives? I have a garden back home in England. And when I do go back home, all the pretty flowers, the roses and the gladioli and the chrysanthemums and all the other things, they're all choked by weeds. I never fertilized in order to grow weeds. Seems weeds don't need fertilizer. But these lovely, beautiful flowers, they need tender care. You've got to debug them and everything else and so on just to get a flower on the top. But these thorns and the brambles, you leave a rose too long, it'll go wild. And every quarter of an inch, you get a, a prickly thorn. But when we're talking about thorns here concerning Jesus Christ, what we're talking about is a thorn at least that long, three inches a minimum. And that is ground into your scalp, and if you're like me, you don't have too much flesh up there. But it's not only the thorn, it's the mockery of the crown. It's the mockery of the crown. And the, uh, uh, the purple robe they put upon him that was only reserved for royalty. And so they mocked him as a king and put this false crown on his head. It's coming a day when there will be another crown on the Savior's head. And that will be the ultimate of crowns, won't it? Because only he is truly worthy to wear a crown. Only he is truly worthy to be praised and worshipped and thanked and bowed down to and be humble before and to accept what it is he gives us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing that came in because they sinned was sweat. Man, listen here, when I get hold of uh, Adam, he and I can have a few words. Sweat? Hmm. I look out the window, I sweat. Then I go out and I get bathed in sweat. And when I'm finished, I'm standing in a bottle of sweat. And I haven't done a thing. And you know the real annoying thing is? I can sweat to death working my head off and I don't lose an ounce in weight. That is not fair, is it? That is not fair. Huh? Sweat we do. But then again we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we said earlier, in anticipation of the cross. Just thinking about the cross. It produces blood like sweat. And the thinking is here that Jesus Christ is not thinking so much about crucifixion. He's thinking about the ultimate punishment that he has to bear for you and for me. And he's looking into that cup of wrath that God is going to pour upon him, which contains your sin and my sin. And Jesus Christ, who is holy and perfect, is going to become sin for us that we accepting him can go free. He having endured the penalty of our sin. And then, of course, sorrow is going to come in. And nobody likes sorrow, do we? Spent an hour with a very dear lady who recently lost her husband, been married over 60 years. Can you imagine that? Married over 60 years? Wow. And, of course, she's heartbroken. She's sorrowful. And to try and enter into her sorrow, being such, you know, wet behind the ears, only married 45 years type of thing compared with her 60-odd. 
I can't begin to feel her sorrow. And so we pray together, we cry together, we have a little laugh together, and we read the word of God together, and we seek to encourage her in her sorrow. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, she wouldn't have been sorrowing, would she? She would have been married for thousands of years. But sin brings sorrow. There's not a family in this whole wide world that isn't tainted in some way or other with sorrow. But did you ever consider the sorrow the Lord Jesus Christ went through? The Son of God became the Son of Man in order to become the man of sorrow. If anybody ever knew anything about sorrow, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it that you and I might have joy. That we might not grieve over our power, our past. That our past does not need to influence our future. But in forgiveness, our past can be gone. The only thing we remember is the lessons we learn out of it. How wonderful is the sorrow that he has taken on our behalf. Let's move on because time is rapidly moving on. Well, here we are in paradise. They've sinned. What happens? They get thrown out. They were in the Garden of Eden and they say that was paradise. Can you imagine what that was? Must have, I mean, the, the beauty of creation as we have it today is what we call a fallen creation, subjected to sin. I was, uh, oh, I think it was 1974 A.D., and I was thrown over a boat with a mask on my face and funny things on the end of my toes. And they dropped me over a reef. Man, I literally lost it altogether. I was so astounded what is down there. We're not supposed to go down there, are we? So really, if God created all of that, he could have done it in black and white and any different shade of green or blue or um, gray, I mean, in between times. But the colors under there are even more beautiful than what we've got above the sea. There's beauty in every nook and cranny of God's creation. So if this was a fallen creation, you can only imagine how beautiful it was. So the Garden of Eden was paradise. Then we come to this second tree, and the word paradise is used by the Lord Jesus Christ again, isn't it? The only time he ever used it when he was here upon earth. You see, there was two guys, two thieves and robbers, crucified with Jesus Christ. One was a stubborn, arrogant bigot, and as a consequence, he went to hell. The other one, observing Jesus Christ, discerned with the help of God's Holy Spirit that he was nothing other else than Jesus Christ. And he says, I want him for me. And Jesus said those beautiful words. Today, tonight, you will be in paradise. Can I ask you, dear friends, if you died tonight, where would you go? If you dropped dead in the next two minutes, where would your soul go? Heaven? Or would he go to hell? That dying thief only had a few hours left. And he was wise enough to accept salvation through Jesus Christ. And so went into paradise. When we accept our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as just that. Our eternal future is secure. And we start living that new life from day one. We don't wait until we get to heaven. Paradise, call it what you like. We start living that new life from the very second the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and lives, which is the second that we say, yes, Jesus, I will take you for my own. Both trees were planted in a garden, weren't they? The second was in the garden, the other in an unknown garden. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in both gardens, there's no comparison, no contrast here. In both gardens, there was death, wasn't there? The first was death from sin, but here's the contrast. From this death of the Lord Jesus Christ comes new life. That's beautiful, isn't it? So out of one man's death and the punishment that he sustained before he gave up his own life. Oh, by the way, that's interesting, isn't it? You heard about these Jews and these Romans and Gentiles and they're all arguing who murdered Jesus? Man, that makes me laugh. Neither of them murdered Jesus. Yes, they crucified him. But Jesus Christ was in control to the very last second. And he dismissed his own spirit. He was in total control. And don't let anybody con you into thinking anything. The Muslims will tell you that Jesus Christ swooned. He went unconscious. 
Well, when somebody jacks a spear in your heart and your blood runs out, I fail to understand how you can be unconscious. I think they call that dead, don't they? Okay. Another thing is, both trees were in the middle of this garden. Tree of life, in the midst. And they crucified Jesus and two thieves, and Jesus was in the midst. I walked in here tonight, and the dear brother here has got a similar hairstyle to mine. He said, well, brother, he said, we're very small. He said, we're only going to be a handful. And I said this to him. Jesus is here. That's all we need. And Jesus is here. And that is all we need. But on an individual basis, do we have to ask ourselves this question? Do I have Jesus in here? It's all well and good having Jesus amongst us. But do I have Jesus in here? Only you can answer that one. Both trees of knowledge of good and of evil. The second tree is the goodness of God incarnate. It's the good of God's holiness. It's of his unfathomable love, his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. That's what we learn from that tree. And that is what God is waiting to share with you and waiting to share with me. It's not going to be a picnic on a Sunday afternoon being a Christian. You think you have problems? Well, I tell you what, you're you're going to get more problems being a Christian. But the big difference is, in the problems that you will have as a Christian, you will have Jesus in the problem. (laughs) And he's a great problem solver. One of the many reasons the guys are in my ministry tonight is they are not able to solve a problem. Reason, rationalize situations, and work out their issues. Dear friends, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior... When we get our head stuck in and we feed upon him, the one who hung upon the cross, then he makes light of our circumstances. When we walk with Jesus and Jesus walks with us, you see those two on the road to Emmaus? They were walking away from Jerusalem, weren't they? And they were talking and then they got disgruntled and they finished up arguing. Why? Because they hadn't fully understood who Jesus is. Well, tonight I trust we have easily explained as to who and what Jesus is. And so when we leave that door tonight, we will be without any question able to tell not only ourselves but our friends as well who and what Jesus Christ was and is. And we need to feed upon him. He is that loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving God. But let's not abuse him. Let's not take him for granted. Okay, I'm saved, now I can do anything I like. No, you cannot. And it's sad to see many Christians live like that. Hey, I got my uh, fire insurance, I've escaped hell, and uh, now I'm going to carry on. Independent of God. That's the curse of the church of the New Testament of this day and generation. Material things have caused us to become independent from God. But you wait for a calamity to happen. What happens then? Oh, yeah, we start prayer chains. We start prayer church circles. We plead with God. God, well, I don't know what you're doing, but you, 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 you notice what's gone? Now you've got to come and now you've got to dig me out of hole. Is that the way to use the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't think so. Do you? As we close, both trees were good to eat. The one was a physical tree. The others, we look at it, it's a spiritual food, isn't it? Tree, directly, I'll run across. Now, this is very interesting, and I'm going to leave you with this. If you remember, Abraham was sitting in his tent one day. You remember that? Mamre, I think they call it, didn't they? And suddenly there comes these gentlemen, and they're obviously angelic beings. And do you know what Abraham says to them? He says, uh, gentlemen, um, do come and rest under this, what, tree? And I'll go and get you some what? Some water? That's interesting, isn't it? So this tree that is so totally vile, upon which Jesus Christ died, now becomes a tree that we can rest under. Isn't that beautiful? You remember when the children of Israel were in the desert and they came across that stream and it was all sour and nasty and horrible and bitter? What happened? Put a tree in the water, didn't they? Took the tree out? Sweet water. 
So we have a tree now that we can rest under and we can drink from this tree. And he brought them food as well, communion. What a blessed time they had together. But what was at the center of their communion as they fellowshiped and they ate and they drank? The center of it was a tree. And at the center of the Christian life, they will always be the cross. And that is why when we forget the cross, we start to backslide. We go back into the world that we came from. And we shame the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I love that chorus that we're going to finish with. I don't know whether you know this or not. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his beautiful face. That face marred by Calvary. Look full in his beautiful face. The things of this world will fade away as you observe his glory. That's who he is. And his grace, that's what he's done. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his beautiful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, how magnificent you are as a God that in your great grace and mercy you could devise such a plan. You could allow, you could tolerate evil humanity's worst taking hold of your beautiful, perfect, sinless, holy son and reduce him to nothing but trash. And at the same time, if that wasn't bad enough, you come along in those hours of darkness, you put my sin on him. You put my friends here, their sin on them. And you punish him for everything everyone in this room has ever done, is about to do, and will do, until that day when we see you. Father, we are deeply humbled as we contrasted these old, the old tree of Eden with the cross upon which your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died. And we try to compare and contrast and learn a few things. But out of all of this, we learn that if we come humbly, we can find rest for our soul. We can drink, we can feed from you. We can find fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and indeed with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, speak to our hearts tonight, we pray, that we might say, yes, please, Father. Let me accept your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as my saviour. For I really realise that I need him. Otherwise, I'm a lost soul. And I'm on my way to hell. Father, grant these things for the namesake and for the glory of your dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. whose name we ask these things. Amen.